0: This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Not every guest takes me up on the opportunity, but I like to do a segment called the Mic Swap, where I make my guest into the host, and then I become the guest. I let them take the conversation wherever they want to take it, ask me whatever they want, and uh, it's a lot of fun, I think. This is Mic Swap.
1: Hey, everybody, this is your host, Neil Sahota, of the Shareable Podcast. We've got a fantastic guest today, Jeff Gibbert, the founder of the Superhero Institute and Renaissance Man. This guy, I think, has way too many jobs, so I'm kind of curious <laughs> to learn how he juggles all these things. But Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Yeah, I have a lot of commas in my uh,
0: description and, uh, and, and like profiles. I uh, did cycle us through it, man.
1: Let's let's blow the audience's mind.
0: Uh, I'm a strategist, consultant, coach, podcaster, blogger, author. Um, I own a company called the Superhero Institute, which is a coaching certification program in the midst of still putting together that certification, so TBD. And uh, I also own the Shareable Podcast Network at shareable.fm. Um, so I got a lot of different things going on. I'm also a dad, I'm a husband, uh, and I'm an excellent cook.
1: All right, I got to ask Jeff, how do you find time to do all these things? Do you do you sleep? Are you a robot man? No, uh,
0: but I do have ADHD, and I find that that allows me to supercharge uh, small gaps of time to do extraordinary amounts of things. And then there's the periods of time where I do absolutely nothing. But like I, uh, I'm able to conquer eight to ten hours worth of work in about a two hour time period if I have my flow and my focus. So I think I'm also just I've gotten very good at. Um, you know, scheduling out and blocking out my time, being really fixed and focused on my priorities. And a lot of stuff I think just over time gets easier. So I don't try to always do everything all at once, but I chip away on it over time. So I'm really building upon the success and work that I've done in the past. And it just makes things a lot easier. It's like I recently started a a business called Super Productive, which is a um, a partner of mine and I, we're both Asana certified pros. So we help companies build out their Asana um, workspaces, we train them on how to use it. We build custom project templates for them, all that sort of stuff. And we started this business this pat like this year, and um, and the built, the entire business got completely up and off the ground in like really we built it in a weekend, but like it took us about a month to get the whole thing where we had Ooh. clients coming in and we were doing everything because we just blitzed it. But we couldn't have done that had I not built businesses in the past or not known what a sales funnel looks like or what a marketing funnel looks like. Had I not known what all the pieces were that I had done from prior work, it would have taken a lot longer. But now I just find that, you know, knowledge builds upon knowledge and, you know, it just, things happen faster.
1: I, I'm kind of curious about this, Jeff, because I believe in the old adage that good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. Yeah. If you try to start this, this new business, say five years ago, could you have done it in a month? No, God, no definitely not.
0: I, I, um,
1: everything that I have had
0: any success with at all has been the product of having previously done it, um, and not had any success with it. So like shareable is a a really good example. I have this podcast called shareable by the way, good name for your show. Um, and this show has been exceptionally successful in terms of total downloads, you know, um, and I, I'd been podcasting for several years before that. And you know I in one episode now I get more downloads than I would in, in 10 to 15 of, of my previous show and um, and that's just because I learned I learned how to launch a show I learned how to keep a show going I learned all these different things and you know that's the only reason why it was successful and I think with this business same sort of thing had I not screwed up sales funnels in the past had I not uh, had I not you know neglected certain really important steps early on in previous businesses I wouldn't know how important they are
1: in this one that that's awesome. So I'm hearing that failure is cool and valuable. I don't know if it's cool. It's necessary, <laughs> but
0: you know, no no one likes to fail. Even though you know how important it is to the process, um, you know, no one likes to do it. It's still not fun. But I do always appreciate when I come out the other side of having learned from something that didn't work. Um, I still always find that you know, I get a kick out of it.
1: Well, it's interesting that uh, when I like hire people, I like to ask the question: Do you think being successful 100 of the time is a good or a bad thing?
0: That is an interesting question because I think like the um, the the ego inside of us makes us want to say, "Of course, yes, wouldn't it be amazing?" But at the same time, I feel like if I was if I won at everything I was doing, I would feel like I wasn't challenging myself enough.
1: Oh, that's a that's a pretty good answer. I I personally believe that if you're always successful, you're not taking enough risk.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is so yeah. like I, I had a business coach, and um, there was a, a point where my my close rate was something like seventy or eighty percent, and he was like, "I mean, you're just not taking enough risks." Then, and I was like, "What do you mean? I have seventy to eighty <laughs> percent close rate. I mean, eight out of ten people come in do business with me." He was like, "Yeah, you're not getting told no enough. It means you're not shooting high enough." And I was like, oh, I get what
1: you're saying. So I agree with that. That's a lesson for all of you guys in the audience. It's okay to fail, but not spectacularly, but uh, valuable lessons there. Yeah. I want to go back for a second because you referenced flow. And actually one of my good friends is Stephen Kotler, who's big into flow and has his own kind of neuroscience institute. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about flow and how do you actually get in that state of mind?
0: Yeah, I think it's different for every person, um, but I've been um, very interested in how to trigger flow in myself. And I have to say that that actually is the level two, because the 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 very first level of what I was trying to attain was just how do I get myself out of complete inaction into doing anything at all? Because one of the, um, the side, there's kind of the two sides of ADHD, which is one, this hyper focus where you just you know, for 10, 12 hours, I can just get locked into a thing and just do an ungodly amount of work. And there's the other side, which is the executive dysfunction, which is like, there's 10 different things that I have to do. And I can't start on any of them because my head is spinning at like a thousand miles an hour. And I hear like 700 voices of all the things that I have to do, just screaming. And I just feel paralyzed. So those are the two sides. And, and, you know, um, I've had to, over time, learn how to mask the, um, the, the, the turmoil and craziness that was going on from the ADHD and just be somewhat productive. But over time, I've also wanted to learn how can I really trigger that locked in state? Because when I realized what a superpower it is to be hyper-focused, I was like, well, I have to figure out how to make this happen. So there's a couple of things. I think, um, one, you have to understand what are your triggers that allow you to get into that state. And I think this is partly analytical and like retrospective, like looking back on what has. And I also think it's somewhat prescriptive. Like you have to give yourself a series of triggers. I think of it almost like a free throw routine, right? Like the best free throw uh, shooters all have a routine that they go through in order to get themselves in the right mindset, right? Now they didn't look back and say, well, which free throw routine did I use that helped me get in the focus the best, right? Like they may have looked at and they said, this feels most comfortable or not, but it's partly they're triggering it. So I think one, you have to figure out how to trigger the flow state. And then I think the second thing, and this is super important, and I'm, I'm very, um, very passionate about this topic, but you have to understand your own unique biorhythms. So what I mean by that is like, there is so much out there about getting up at like 5 a.m. and how all billionaires get up at 4 a.m. and all this nonsense. And quite frankly, it irritates the hell out of me because it treats me like, you know, it makes me feel a little bit like a second class citizen because I'm a night owl. Right. So like it's it's the continuation of the narrative that I uh, feel like I ran into in high school where it was like, oh, well, you don't fit in with this group of successful people. So, you know, the, the implied lesson there is that you're a loser, like you're not smart, you're not good, you're not this. But like What I can do from 10 PM to two or 3 AM is the exact same level of crazy hyper productivity that some of these like, you know, uh, go-getters that wake up at 4 AM and they, you know, they eat the frog first before anyone else is up. I'm just doing it the night before. I'm just doing it a little bit before them. And I think there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And what I would suggest is that if you want to really understand how to, how to get in flow state, how to leverage flow state, one, understand what your triggers are. And two, don't fight what you naturally are just find out what that actually is and lean into it. Because when you do, then you can more easily trigger flow state.
1: I think that's actually a great insight, Jeff. Um, It's interesting because one of my my idols is actually Richard Branson. He actually suffers from dyslexia. And when he was a student, he didn't test for that. And so they always thought he was not the best student only in remedial classes. But as he got older and learned, rather than use that as a liability, he turned into an asset, right? And so I, that's why I, I love what you're sharing with the audience right now. But I'm also kind of curious, we're, we're living in an age now where people's attention span is getting shorter and shorter. You talk about like ADD. How is it that you're, you're able to retrain yourself to become so hyper-focused then? Um, I think one of the most interesting
0: facets of having ADHD is how often people use it as if it's not a thing, but it's like a, um, it's like a trait almost, right? Like, oh, I'm so ADD or I'm so OCD, right? Like it's this thing that you can try on and take off like at will, right? Like it's a tendency you have as opposed to like, you know, it, I, I've discovered over the past several years of like really trying to manage this. I tried to manage with medication over years and Over uh, over a certain period of time, I just decided medication wasn't the thing that was working best for me, but lifestyle change and learning how I operate really did work best. So a lot of people think of ADHD as sort of like a a thing that happens to you versus a thing that you are, right? And um, for that reason... Um, I think there's a lot of misconception around it. So, being distracted is not the same thing as being ADHD. ADHD is a a certain series of different things that show up and manifest in different people in different ways. And what I've just tried to do is be aware of those signs and look for ways to mitigate some of the downsides and be able to lean into some of the upsides of it. So, with all of the distractions that are out there, I've had to. So, uh, one of the things I know, for instance, about ADHD is that, like, routine is incredibly, and structure is incredibly valuable and useful, but it's also impossibly hard for people who suffer from ADHD. That's like, you know that it's important for you, but you also have the hardest time implementing it. So one of the things that I did probably about seven years ago at this point is I started working on habits. I started working on um, living by my calendar and my task list. Now, if I, if my, if Google calendar and my task list, uh, Todoist or Asana, if either of them were to go away tomorrow, I would all of a sudden cease to be a productive member of society. Like I would just, it would obliterate me for an extended period of time. Um, But because I've learned to lean into the ways that I can mitigate the downsides of ADHD uh, and distraction in general, um, I've learned to kind of work around some of those things. So I know that, you know, on my phone, for instance, there's a focus mode where you can, and screen time on your phone. So I turn off the apps that I know distract me and it, a, a notification comes up and says, hey, you've reached your limit for today. So those are some of the things that I do, whether it's using systems or setting you know, technologies to remind me is to try and keep myself in a limited window that that stops me from getting distracted.
1: Wow, that, that is awesome. And I love the fact that you took what most people might perceive as a weakness and really turned into a strength.
0: Yeah. And actually, let me give you just one more real quick. And, and any ADHD or neurodivergent uh, listener will, will get this probably. But uh, one, another thing that is very typical among people who have ADHD is um, you have a really hard time when something is due in the future. But if something is urgent or on fire, you are like an absolute superhero. So one of the things that I do is I just manifest chaos for myself. I make things urgent. So I find ways of creating that urgency around things so that I can engage the part of my brain that would otherwise be asleep because it's not due or important. So I've worked really hard on priority management. And instead of thinking of things in terms of when they're due, I I now sort things in my life based upon priority, how important they are in my life's work. And that brings me some urgency and allows me to actually activate my brain to get working on things.
1: Wow, that is... Phenomenal. I know a certain teenager that might benefit from that advice. I so will definitely share that with them. Oh, wow. Well, I, I thought it interesting you tossed out the word superhero because when you talked about this being a trait, it sounded like it was more like a superpower. You got your superhero institute. Mm-hmm. So are these connected?
0: I mean, for me, everything comes back to, uh, you know, the aspiration of being a superhero. It started when I was very, very young and, um, and it's continued ever since. But, you know, I believe that, um, you know, it, it's, it's at least for myself, I feel like I have a responsibility to make the world a better place. And I think I have a better chance of doing that as I continually level up and grow and become more powerful. Um, you know, the more superpowers that I have, the more tools I have in my arsenal to affect change and to make big things happen. So that's my perspective on the world. Um, I'm not saying everybody should do that. That's just, that tends to be how I approach things because I want my life to have meaning and consequence and impact. And I see acquiring more superpowers and growing and leveling up as being my best chance of, of having the, the tools to do that when the time where I'm needed.
1: Well, I, I love that attitude, Jeff, because I believe everyone can do something big or small to make a difference. And sometimes just we don't realize that small things can add up to big things. And so we don't even bother to look. Yeah.
0: And I'm going to take that opportunity right there to say that uh, I'm on the board of an organization called Pathways to Housing PA, and it's a housing-first homelessness nonprofit. So basically- We just find people who don't have a home and we give them a home. And that's been one of the least expensive methods of dealing with homelessness, as well as some of the most effective ways of getting people out of the chronic cycle of poverty and homelessness uh, without help. No preconditions, no like drug testing, none of that nonsense, just give people a home. So uh, on the topic of little things add up, I have a fundraising page that uh, I'm trying to raise $50,000 to get people off of the street. So if you feel like contributing and having a small dent, put in 20 bucks, put in 10 bucks and help me get to that. Uh, Because if it's just me, it's going to take me, I think, a hundred or it's either a hundred or a thousand months, thousand months, actually, because I'm donating 50 bucks a month. Uh, So it'll take me a thousand months to get there on my own. Uh, So anybody listening, you can help me get there much faster.
1: That'd be awesome. How can they help you, Jeff? How can they uh, learn more?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that the, uh, I'll get you over the, uh, the link so you can put it in the show notes, uh, so people can get involved with it, but that's a, a cause that's like super near and dear to my heart. Um, I have several that I work on, but that's one that, that always makes me happy to contribute towards helping.
1: Awesome. Well, if people want to learn more about you, Jeff, keep up with what's, what's going on. What's the best way for them
0: to stay in touch? Uh, I would say jeffgibbard.com is the best place to go. That's where you can find out about everything that I work on, uh, the release of my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader, uh, everything else I'm working on. So yeah, that's where to go.
1: That's awesome. We'll make sure all that stuff is in the show notes for you. And definitely keep tabs on Jeff. Like I said, he, he he's a man that wears many hats, but he's done some amazing things and definitely worth following. With that, I will definitely say that this has been an amazing episode and quite Shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've
0: never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it, or discussing it on your own podcast, or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing.